When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The Cricket Badger Podcast with Cricket 365. The Cricket World Cup 2019 Afghanistan Australia Bangladesh England India New Zealand Pakistan South Africa Sri Lanka West Indies Let's pick the bones out of this tournament With your host James Butler Cricket 365 Zoli Fisher and journey state cash Shiva Subramanian. Hello everybody, welcome along to episode 7 of the Cricket Badger World Cup Weekly with myself James and in association with Cricket365 and Paddy Power and joined as always as ever by Ollie and Akash. We'll start with you Ollie. We came through last episode full of the joys of spring with England. We've seen a bit of cricket since we now know the semi-final lineup. Are you looking forward to the semi-finals? Nervously excited because obviously a couple of episodes ago I was all doom and gloom saying there's a, there's a significant chance that England aren't even involved in the semi-finals but now we are. We've got the old enemy on Thursday at Edgebaston and that promises to be a, a massive occasion and beauty of it is that Tuesday you've got India v New Zealand at Old Trafford and sort of have an idea of who we would face in the final if we were to get past Australia so it's, you know, it's getting right down to the business end of the tournament now and you, you've got to love it but I'm just I'm, I'm really nervous if there was a button to sort of skip and fast forward to the end of the tournament and see if, if we'd done it or not, then I would. But I suppose that's the beauty of sport, isn't it? English stroke British teams have got this habit in recent times of being semi-finalists, haven't they? Which is the worry, but our brave cricketers are going to be different. I hope so. I really hope so. I know you're very confident about it. I'm just a bit apprehensive. I mean, there's a few stats that are sort of floating around about, you know, Australia have never lost a semi-final. They love the big occasions here in England. Obviously, they've already beaten us once in this tournament, and you can look at that both ways. We're due to, to get revenge, or maybe they've got our number. You know, they've got a few injuries and stuff like that. I think you're just taking it game by game at this point. Obviously, we've, we've just got to play good, smart cricket on Thursday. You know, if we were to get to the final, we'd have a couple of days less rest, but you're playing on pure adrenaline at that point. So, yeah, Sunday... At Lords, let's 
let's just get there first and then let's see what happens. And Akash, hello to you again. Semi-finals, England need to just replicate that same form that they took through those last two games in the group stages. They built themselves up, they got themselves back on track, they played that attacking brand of cricket again. They need to just recapture that and not have a fear of failure. They should just carry on playing the way they play and they should be really hopeful of if they win the toss or not and that, that's going to be a really huge thing. You don't want to be facing the likes of Mitchell Stark on a swinging condition when there is pressure, uh, pressure situation. So toss is going to play a huge role. All the teams are evenly matched up so it's going to be a good week. The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com. Their ethos, we love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. The Australians losing to South Africans yesterday. It's changed things around and England have now got Australia at Edgebaston. We're going to go through the teams that we've said goodbye to, the six teams, the brave boys that have had their moment and they're flying home as we speak. South Africa we'll start with, and we'll start with you because you tipped them to win the tournament. If they played like they did against Australia, it would have been a different story, wouldn't it? It would have been certainly a different story, but there's one thing that, that is about South Africa is they've not been consistent enough. So they've picked up three wins, and all the three wins have been really good wins. It's been a nine-wicketer, it's been, a, I guess, a ten-wicketer, and a, the last one was ten runs. So it's it's been good wins, but the rest of the games have not been consistent enough. So that's where they've got, the tournament has gone down for them. And uh, injuries, it's usual that injuries play a huge role in a tournament, in a huge tournament like this. So they should have been prepared for this situation. It's not a hard loss because they, they're going to get back and they're going to, start working for the next one. I've heard a couple of comments from teams that have gone out of the competition to say they're going to go back and regroup and yeah, maybe even model themselves on England and play that attacking brand of cricket. And I think against Australia, that's how South Africa came out. They came out and played a, a different kind of brand of cricket. They, they came for the Australians and they showed what they could do if they actually believed in themselves a little bit. Yeah, for the first time, I think we've seen South Africa go attacking right from ball one and that that's where Australia were caught by surprise. They didn't expect the South Africans to come out attacking like this, the, like the way they did. And then Australia obviously were held back by injuries and the uh, Usman Kawaja had missed major, major part of the of their run chase. So it's kind of testing Australia's middle order and uh, it is a really good test for them. Uh, the last time they, the, the middle order was tested was against New Zealand. So right now you can say that the middle order is it's coming to form and that's a good good thing for Australia, even though they didn't win against South Africa. And Oli, on South Africa, after Plessy, he averaged 64 in the tournament. Uh, Van der Dusen had a good tournament as well, played well yesterday against Australia. He averaged 62, but apart from that... Bit of a mixed bag with the batsman. Quinton de Kock didn't perform as a lot of people thought he might do. David Miller was disappointing and lost his place in the side. And with the ball, probably only Imran Tahir was consistent with the ball. Chris Morris had a half-decent tournament, but Rabada didn't deliver as some people expected. So, you know, you look down that South African side, and there's a few people who need to look at themselves in the mirror and think, well, where was our A game? Definitely, it was a real mixed bag, sort of the players that you expected to show up, or certainly the players that would show up if South Africa were going to crack the top four and, and have a decent run. They, they didn't perform. As you mentioned, Duplessis can come out with his head held high, as can Van der Dusen. Um, Imanta here as well. You know, a couple of the players that I picked at the very beginning when we were doing our picks for top run scorer and top wicket taker, I had an outside bet on Aidan Markram because I thought South Africa reached the um, semi-finals and with him as an opener, you know, he's um, shown ability to score runs consistently, but it's just not really 
happened in this tournament at all. And then I also picked out Rabada as as, the, as one of the candidates for leading wicket-taker, and he's just been very erratic as well, really. So a bit of a disappointment that a few of the core players, and, and the players that really needed to show up if they were to, to crack that top four, they, they didn't show up or they did it too late, basically. But yeah, it's, it was a peculiar tournament for them, really, because they played awful cricket at the start. And by their own admission, they were basically down and out after sort of five, six group games. And then they restored a bit of pride. And, and as Akash mentioned, the three wins that they got on the board were actually really good wins. And that sort of culminated with that game against Australia, where they posted a, a very, very good score, just playing carefree attacking cricket and, you know, captured a, a very, very rare World Cup win over, over Australia. So they'll take some positives from it but overall it's impossible to, to look at the tournament as anything other than a failure. We've got to episode 7 before Sunid said we're going to take the positives out of something which is not a bad effort. And Akash one final word on South Africa before we, we let them fly home. It was a little bit unfair on them to have to play the first three games of their campaign before India started and three losses. They could never really come back from that could they? And Look now there's no point talking about it because they knew that they had three games and uh, three real quick games coming in into the start of the tournament. And uh, they should have been ideally prepared for it. They should have rested their players during key stages in the tournament, uh, in the IPL. Uh, they, should have, they should have realized how big this situation is. I, I think it's up to the management. They didn't do that well a job in resting players before the tournament. And there's, there's some players who we knew the caliber, but they didn't come up to the... To the to the stage, we could see Hashim Amla struggling. Even though he's he's one of the best cricketers that we've seen in South Africa, he he still struggled to score runs. And then they had to chop and change the team based on him, and then based on all the other injuries. So really, it's it's not the tournament's format, or it's not the scheduling that uh, needs to be seen. It's more of South Africa being aware of what the situation is, and they should have been prepared uh, for the situation better. Hi, my name is Brian Lara, and you're listening to the Cricket Batcher Podcast. Moving on to the West Indies, I'll start with them. They were one of my picks, outside picks, to get to the semi-finals of this competition. I thought, you know, you look down their squad, packed with plenty of young talent, packed with a bit of experience as well. Just hasn't quite worked for them. They had that massive win against Pakistan in the opening game where they blew them away. And then they had Australia on the ropes as well in their second game. And at that stage, you started thinking, well, West Indies are the real deal in this competition. But in a way, yeah, that defeat against Australia when they came back and beat them, everybody was still talking about the pace battery. And the West Indies had only that real plan for the next couple of games until they realised it wasn't actually working in the conditions of bowling short pitch deliveries. Jason Holders led them with a lot of dignity through the competition. If you go, if you look through their matches, they came very close on a number of occasions. They they should well they, they shouldn't have beaten New Zealand, but Carlos Brathwaite nearly did a Houdini act, and if that ball had just travelled a few more inches, they would have picked up two points from that game. They had South Africa on the ropes, and then it rained. There's a few games where it was nearlys and not quite, but that's tournament cricket, isn't it? And you've got to take your chances when they're there. And overall, I guess West Indies, Ollie, they go home disappointed. They will do. They were they were quite a few people's picked to sort of you know be an outside bet for the top four, and rightly so. I think there's a lot of ability in their squad. They showed obviously with that thumping win against Pakistan to open that they the, perhaps the real deal, and then things just kind of fell off a little bit from there. Obviously, they got an absolute spanking by uh, by India, and then they. They lost a thriller, really, against New Zealand. Um, went on to get beat by Bangladesh. The England beat them, and that's it. Your tournament's pretty much over when, you, when you're winning one of your first six games, as they did. Obviously, they had a washout against South Africa as well. Yeah, it's a strange one, really, because they've provided us with a lot of good moments in the tournament. Yeah, they've, they've got to view it as a disappointment, really. Um, this isn't the way that Chris Gale wanted to sign off, I'd guess, but 
you know, it's it's not all about him, I guess. Yeah, five defeats, not not a great not a great tournament. Do you think there was a, an an element of believing their own hype after they played so well against Pakistan and and still got rave reviews after that narrow defeat against Australia? Everybody was talking about, you know, this is the West Indies team of old. Do you think there was an element of maybe starting to believe that themselves and, and taking their eye off the ball a little bit in terms of tactics and, and managing the, the games themselves? Yeah, possibly. I think you could definitely say that. I suppose when you start with, with a win that was so so convincing as it was, obviously you want your players to, to feel that confidence. You want them to um, you want them to, to feel like they can go on and achieve big things in the tournament. Just for whatever reason, it didn't work. I think losing that game so narrowly as they did against Australia probably knocked the stuffing out of them a little bit, I guess. From there on, they had a tough run of games, you know, with the, with the South Africa game and then England beating them convincingly and then, they, you know, they come up against Bangladesh, New Zealand. It's a tough one because those are the kind of litmus test games where they'll want to find out what they're really made of and when you lose sort of the first couple of those uh, it becomes quite difficult to, to motivate a group of players as, as South Africa found out in terms of you know criticising the actual way that they played throughout the tournament perhaps in certain circumstances they were reckless you know there were games where they needed to stem the flow and just to, just to stop the bleeding uh, especially like the, the game against England where they bowled out for 212 the game against India where they were skittled for 143 no those are the games that are, that are quite damaging so perhaps with a little bit more composure, a little bit more experience, application, that kind of thing. They could have turned those into into closer games and and it perhaps doesn't feel like as bad a a tournament for them as it actually was. And just on two of their players, one of the reasons I I started to believe in them before the tournament started was because of the form of Andre Russell in the IPL. And obviously when you've got Chris Gale at the top of the order, anything can happen. But that hasn't really turned out to be the case, has it? Because Andre Russell was in pieces physically in the tournament and uh, never really got going as, as we expected him to. And Chris Gale, really, the ceiling on his performances with the bat, Ollie, was probably about 60 or 70 because he was just spent after he got that far through in innings. He, he wasn't the Chris Gale that we, we've seen before. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. And that's a shame because I think if he had have been, then the World Cup would have been all the better for it. We're at a point now with Chris Gale where you know what you're getting. Pretty much a stand and deliver kind of batsman. Physically, he's, he's not what he was. He's still a hell of an imposing unit and he can he can strike a ball very far. But you're right, it, it seemed like once he once he hit a certain point, that was it. And he, he was sort of looking to hit out or get out. And that's not really the way that you, you, you play cricket sensibly, I guess. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a shame, obviously, that this, this will be his last World Cup and it was far from successful for him, but obviously he's brought a lot of brought a lot of exposure and a lot of a lot of good memories to West Indies cricket. So he he can go out with his head held high to an extent. Um, and and that's for Andre Russell. Yeah, he's he's the guy who on his day could be an absolute difference maker for that side. But he's another player who physically looked um, looked absolutely exhausted, possibly on the back of the IPL. Obviously, it's quite a rigorous schedule for these players, but um, he didn't really show up either. So when you've got two key performers like that 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 are really struggling to, to push the team in the right direction, then it's yeah, it's, it's not really going to end well. And Akash, Ollie's mentioned the phrase already, taking the positives. If you look down the West Indies lineup, there are plenty of positives to take back to the Caribbean. You know, Nicholas Poor and Shai Hope, Shimron Hetmeyer, Carlos Brathwaite, even Sheldon Cottrell. You know, you've got some young players there that are going to be around for a while. Who can be the foundation for this West Indies size kicking on in the future? Plenty of positives the West Indies would take from this tournament. Not only just uh, their batting, but their bowling as well. The, the bowling performance at times has been excellent. has been one of the best in the tournaments and at times has been miserable. So they've not found the consistency and they've not actually found a, a plan B for most parts of the tournament. And when they found it, it was too late uh, in the tournament. One thing about the batting order, there's always been one standout player every inning and that's pretty much it. If there is a Carlos Bratwick who is striking the ball, there is 
no one really around him to help him uh, build build the innings and take it till the last over so that's where they should they should use their mind and uh, be more on building partnerships in the middle over and then taking the game to the last few overs because they have the power to clear the boundary at ease so they just need to play a little with a cool headed and they, they they should just think a little more on the field and and things would come their way uh, Shane Thomas is another one isn't he a youngster who has got a big future I think in the game as long as he's coached right and, and looked after um, and I've been really impressed with Sheldon Cottrell not just on the pitch but off the pitch you know social media is a massive part of cricket these days and he's been coaching the kids been teaching them the salute he's been inviting uh, well, try and make this sound right he's been inviting kids to his hotel to meet them and, and kind of sign stuff and again teach them the salute he's been a, a really good positive player for the West Indies both on and off the pitch so I think they can go home with a lot of things to take from this World Cup and hopefully we'll see more from them in the future it's that Badger style. Let's go to my boys, Akash, Afghanistan. I thought at the start of this tournament that there'd be a surprise in them. They nearly, nearly did it. They got better as the tournament went on. They got very close to a few of the big sides. India, Pakistan won't forget their games with them because they were tested to the limit by Afghanistan. And if it had just been a, if it had just been a little bit more experience, maybe a slightly better captain maybe a bit more harmony behind the scenes off the pitch. Afghanistan, I think, could have made a bit more of a mark at this World Cup. Afghanistan certainly could have made a better mark in this tournament. Uh, they had three games that was theirs to, uh, the, the, there to lose. And uh, if they had picked the opportunity and then pulled off a victory against India, that would have got them going. And if they had managed that, and then their, their momentum would be up and high and running against Bangladesh and Pakistan... And the way they performed against Pakistan, it was really their game to lose. And uh, there's some decisions that, that went uh, the other ways and there's some bad decisions that they took on the night. But as far as the tournament per se goes, I think they've played, they played decent cricket, but not the best cricket. So they know where they're lacking and they know which part of the side that they need uh, rebuilding in. It, it's a good experience. It's, it's the first World Cup. So really, there's not much pressure on them as of yet. But I think they should start performing with the talent that they have. And probably in the next World Cup, we would see a better Afghanistan side turning up on the games and then pulling off these victories that they could not in this tournament. So it, it should be a good uh, few years, next few years for Afghanistan. In the next episode of the World Cup, it will be our review episode. and We're going to pick our team of the tournament and also our disappointments of the tournament. And it, it sounds a bit harsh to pick a disappointing 11, but Rashid Khan probably fits into that, doesn't he? Because... You know, everybody was talking about Rashid Khan, his influence, his spin bowling. Spinners maybe not have played quite the part in this World Cup as we, we might have expected them to. But you'd have, from an Afghanistan point of view, hope that Rashid Khan would have been a bit more dominating with the ball than he was, Akash. No, actually, spinners had uh, or did play an impact at times. It was always the clever spinners who knew how to vary pace. And uh, that's, that's kind of the trend of this tournament. We've seen spinners take wickets, but it's more not of off the pitch but of, but of the of of the skill set and the varying pace and then you see the likes of Imran Tahir or Kuldeep other picking wickets at the right time it's because of the skill set i think rashid khan had the skill set more importantly i think the teams who played against afghanistan batted him out so there's never a point where he could get aggressive and there's one game where he got really aggressive which was against pakistan where he picked wickets if the teams are not attacking rashid khan they did tend out the attacking fortress and then that that's that's what happened for afghanistan the opposition played out rashid khan so they had to 
rely on the other bowlers to pick wickets. They didn't turn up to the party. So I, I wouldn't say it's a disappointment for them, but they would have done really better if, if Rashid Khan had fired. I agree with you, though. I think uh, in four years' time in India, on probably spin-friendly wickets, then Afghanistan will take some scalps in four years if they continue to improve as they have done. Ollie, I know we've been bantering, if that's the right phrase, all the way through these uh, podcasts about them being my team and you've been critical of them. Have they gone anywhere towards winning you over? Not on the back of the last nine games, no. I did predict at the start of the competition, perhaps rather boldly, that I thought they would lose all nine games because I was just looking at the matchups and thinking, I can't see them winning that, I can't see them winning that. And, and ultimately it came true, but they weren't given hidings in every single game. They had a couple of close games against good teams, obviously India being the, being the notable one. Yeah, I, I don't think this is the tournament to judge them, perhaps. They obviously had a lot of stuff going on off the field, which was obviously going to be difficult for, for such an inexperienced team to deal with and once they, once they lost that for the first four or five games it was going to be very very hard to, to sort of turn around that ship time to judge them is four years time when they'll be playing in, in conditions that are more friendly to them some of the young core will be will be four years more experienced they'll have more cricket under their belts they'll be able to hopefully put on a better showing but yeah in terms of this tournament it just didn't happen for them really I think as, as soon as they lost that game quite even though the, it wasn't that way at certain stages as soon as they lost that game in the end fairly comfortably to Sri Lanka, yeah, it kind of went downhill from there. They've shown their inexperience a little bit, both on and off the field. And, you know, Phil Simmons had promised halfway through the tournament that he was going to come out afterwards and dish the dirt a little bit. And what's happened behind the scenes, it remains to be seen if that comes to pass. But I think Afghanistan, everybody knows that they've got the talent. They know that they've got a lot of determination and they will, in four years' time, be a lot stronger than they have been in this tournament. It's that Badger style. Let's move on, Oli, to Bangladesh. At one stage, threatened the semi-finals. Shakib Al-Hassan is uh, right up there in terms of the leading run scorers of the competition. Got some really good bowlers as well. The Fizz ended up with 20 wickets to his name, taking two fifers to close the tournament for him. Bangladesh, under the tutelage of uh, English coach Steve Rhodes, have had a very good tournament. And I think the fact that they've finished below South Africa in the in the table is, is really not a fair indication of the of the way that they've played throughout the tournament. They've been involved in a in a lot of close games and they're perhaps unlucky that they had sort of the game against Sri Lanka washed out if you add another point onto the board and it's all lifts and butts I guess but um but they played some they played some really good stuff. They played some exciting cricket and I think they they sort of turned into everybody's everybody's second team in a way because they've got so many likable players on there. Obviously Shakib is just an absolute machine. He he somehow ended up finishing third in terms of the overall total runs in the group stage behind Rohit Sharma in first and David Warner. Yeah, they, they, they're just a likeable bunch and I think they'll take a tremendous amount of positives from, from this tournament. I guess it's another one where in four years where, when things are a little bit more friendly for them conditions-wise, they can they can look to make a, make a real statement as well. But statistically, you've got a... You've got a group of players there that can really hold their heads up high. And Akash, you're a big Shakib fan, aren't you? You know He's been phenomenal with the bat. He's picked up wickets as well. He's basically just underlined the fact that he's been one of the leading all-rounders in one-day cricket in the world for the last decade. He's certainly proved that he's the number one all-rounder in the world at the moment. And with not only the ball, but also the bat, it was really surprising for me to see Shakib scoring about 600 runs. I would not have expected this before the tournament. But the way he's batted... He's shown sign of aggressiveness. He's shown the right uh, mixture and the way that people should bat in English conditions. And that should be like a blueprint going into the semifinals. People should know that how to face your batting uh, 
performance. And that he's certainly showed uh, the way for, for future Bangladeshi batsmen to play in, in conditions like this. And not only that, they've been consistent with the ball as well. They've been, they've been a consistent side. And uh, as, as Ali said, they would, they'd be really thoroughly disappointed with the way that uh, the game didn't go against Sri Lanka. Because if they, that match had gone on and they would have played it, they, there would have been a chance that Bangladesh could have won that. And yeah, it might have been any other way. And the way they played against New Zealand was, was probably the best in this tournament. Uh, to, to come back against that side who was already, I think, 40 runs short of the victory with five wickets remaining, to get them till the last over was a really good performance. So there's a lot of positives that Bangladesh would take from this tournament. And going into the future, I think they, they'd be a force to reckon. Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, the back game against Sri Lanka being washed out, you know, hips and arms and pots and pounds and all that kind of stuff, you know, is applicable to quite a lot of the teams in this tournament, really. Yeah, you never know as well. If they'd still been in, in contention, they might have played slightly differently against Pakistan in the last game and made the semi-finals. So they go home with their heads held high. Definitely a masterstroke to take Shakib from the middle order and put him up at number three as well, because that, uh, well, the proof's in the pudding. He scored loads and loads of runs and been one of the players of the tournament for me. Hi, my name is Brian Lara, and you're listening to the Cricket Batcher podcast. Sri Lanka, let's talk about their Akash. I wrote them off at the start of this competition. I said that you know, they were going to struggle. They were going to be right down there with uh, back, um, Afghanistan at the bottom. I tipped them to finish bottom of the table. They played better than that, and they've got some decent sides. I know that you looked at Avishka Fernando last week as one of your batsmen of the week. He's had a really good last couple of weeks. And Sri Lanka have stood up, they've been counted, and they've played some good cricket. Sri Lanka have played some good cricket in England before as well. But the thing about Sri Lankan cricket is, now they're going into a phase where they're becoming like Pakistan. They're becoming more unpredictable. I think in the next four years, they should identify who are the, who are the mainstay batsmen and who are the mainstay bowlers. There would be so much minus of uh, Malinga, Matthews and all the key players. They should have a, a, a pool of players that they can pick from in the future and they should groom them really well. They should... They, they already have players like uh, Jayawardene and Sangakara who, who, who have been in the past known for grooming players and distribute all these sources and make uh, their, their national side a better one. So in the next four years, they would be a better side. They would be better coached and they would they'd be in better form, I guess. This tournament for them, I think it's a positive one because they've, they've figured out the strengths and weaknesses. And in the next four years with subcontinental pitches, I think they should just get better. Oh, Lassif Malinga, it'll be his last World Cup. He's been an absolute stalwart. A fantastic one-day limited overs bowler. And it shows, doesn't it, that a bowler who uses his head a little bit, he's lost his pace, but he's still got that between the ears. He knows how to send that ball down and he's still been taking wickets. He's just been a, a tremendous, tremendous character in cricket over the last, how many, 15 years or however long it's been. He, you know, his record speaks for itself. He's taken 335 wickets, you know, in 225 ODIs, which is just a phenomenal return. I think during this tournament, he, he proved, as you said, he might have lost a yard of pace or whatever, but it's, it's all about uh, intelligence. It's all about execution. And honestly, it looked like vintage Malinga at certain points during that tournament when he was, you know, running up and bowling those, bowling those in-swinging Yorkers. It was just like, you know, how can you not appreciate that and how can you not appreciate the fact that he's done it for, for well over a decade now? It's going to be a shame to see Sri Lanka without him because he's been very much like Chris Gale for the West Indies. He's been somebody who's boosted the exposure and the, and the, and the profile and the overall likability, to be honest, of, of Sri Lankan cricket. And uh, yeah, it's going to be weird to see them without him. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad as well that he signed out uh, on a high by taking that wicket yesterday. I, I said for some time that Sri Lanka are a team in transition, but really, how can you replace Sankakara, Jaya Wardner, Jaya Saria, Malinga. 
you know, some of the all-time greats of not just Sri Lankan cricket, but world cricket, it takes a, takes a, a lot to get players to replicate their performances, isn't it? Do we have to just look at Sri Lanka now as a, a team without those guys and maybe just they can land a punch every now and again? Yeah, possibly, yeah, because the names that you're talking about replacing there, as you say, it's just it's not easy at all. Those are world, world-class players, elite players that have been at the, at the very top of their game for pretty much all through the 2000s. And um, now you've got a, a core of players where, you know, rather than, than them being ready-made superstars or whatever, they... They could. They're going to be. They're going to be more hit and miss. But but the potential is there. You know. We've seen throughout the tournament little glimmers that the shoots of a recovery coming. Um. Obviously that that 113 from Matthews yesterday was was a really good knock. And and actually over the course of the tournament, I don't think they played terribly considering a lot of people would have had them down as as finishing second bottom. And they've ended up finishing sixth. You know. They've they've won three and only lost four out of nine. There's something to build around there. And Akash is right. You know. They have traditionally played quite well in England. Um. And we'll see how they get on in four years because the team's going to look a bit different I think in four years time Sri Lankan cricket has this knack of sort of having a bit of a lull and then and then really coming back so we'll, we'll see how that goes it's that badger style And finally, of the teams that have been eliminated, Pakistan have provided a lot of entertainment over the last few weeks. They've been a team I've enjoyed watching. And they started off, as we've already mentioned, with that horrendous performance against the West Indies. But they bounced back and all of those parallels with 1992 and how they were going to replicate those performances didn't quite come true. We're not going to talk about net run rate on this podcast. We did that last time. But to just fell out of the top four, despite a brave, brave effort, Akash... They could take a lot from this tournament too. They could certainly take a lot from this tournament. I think they have been. They, they should be thoroughly disappointed that uh, the games didn't go in their way or they couldn't uh, get it in their favour. There's one thing about Pakistan cricket that we've seen this World Cup is they, they didn't find the right eleven. They didn't find their right uh, bowling pair in the, in the early part of the tournament, which is where they were lagging. And once they found it they were forced to reckon with. And then, then everything started clicking. The, 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 the mistake that they did in the early part was to have a blind trust on experience, which did not pay off, which paid off uh, in, the, in the case of Mohamed Amir, but didn't pay off in the other cases. So once they found out the right 11, I think they were, they were a really good side. But it was too late in the tournament, as we already mentioned. So they suddenly exited with their heads held high. And then I certainly think they should be positive going into the next four years because they have a really good side. They have a really good mixture of players who are already now experienced with this World Cup and uh, youngsters who are coming in. We've seen Shine Afridi played really well. We've seen uh, Barbarism consistent as ever. And then we've also seen Mohamed Amir, the way he's bowled. So Pakistan should be confident uh, that they, they should be in the semifinals next time they play. They should just they should just hold on to these talents and then groom them in the right way. So it's, it's a good tournament for them. It seems that behind the scenes at Pakistan, there seems to be a lot of people have a say in how that team is A-selected, but you know how it performs. And for me, Akash, Mickey Arthur is a, a safe hand on that rudder. He knows those players, those play, the young players particularly think that he's a, a really good coach and they look up to him. I think it's vital for Pakistan that they keep his services for as long as they can. Mickey Arthur is certainly vital for them, but there's one person who I think they have missed in this tournament. It was Steve Rickson, the fielding, their former fielding coach. If if it was for Steve Rickson, I think they would have got at least four points more than they they've already got. They've they've been terrible in the in the, in the fielding department, and certainly if they get better at that, uh, they they would have won matches against say Australia where they dropped. 
several catches. They gave so much opportunities to, to the Australian batsmen. And Ollie, looking at Pakistan, two youngsters really stand out for me from their team. As I say, we're going to pick next week our team of the World Cup. Babar Azam has got to be there or thereabouts, hasn't he? Certainly a squad member. He's been superb for Pakistan during this tournament. A youngster really making his mark on the world stage. And Shaheen Afridi, somebody I've seen close up. I was out in Abu Dhabi last October and he was playing for the Lahore Qalandas development side. He looks fantastic then. And he's grown as this summer's gone on. He was disappointed maybe in the ODIs against England prior to the World Cup starting. Had a slow start to the World Cup. But as he's, as he's gained in confidence and they've shown trust in him, He's shown what he could do over the next few years as well. It's difficult if you're if you're a if you're a Pakistan fan not to be excited uh, by that. Obviously, starting with Babar Azami, he's ended up finishing um, finishing seventh overall in terms of group stage runs. He managed to rack up 474. Um, the monobrow. He he looks good. He looks a very very good batter technically. You know, um, he's sort of got an ability to to up the pace and also seems to have that kind of resolve that perhaps some of the other other of the top order are lacking where he's he knows when to be patient uh, and he knows when to stabilize which is which is rare for a for a player i think he's 23 24 something like that um so yeah it, he's good he he'll be um probably their number three for for a, for a long while yet and then in terms of bowling yeah we I mean, yesterday was a prime example, really, of of, um, of what Shaheen can do. He took six for six for thirty-five against Bangladesh, and he's another one. He's finished seventh in the overall for for wickets during the group stages. He's got sixteen wickets, obviously helped by that haul yesterday. But it's just, I think it's a it's a perfect indication of how players can develop so much within a major tournament itself. You know, they can play sort of three years or, or two years, let's say, of, of ODI series and just sort of amble along. But once you put them under the microscope on the biggest stage, that's when they can either flourish or, you know, or basically, or basically not grow at all. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's reason for excitement with Shaheen a 3D already looks like like he could be a uh, be a, a, a fantastic partner for Mohammed Amir moving forward, um, and that's that's what they that's what they want. You know, they, they need something to build around there, just as Sri Lanka do. And I think that we've seen enough in the tournament. You know, they had a good run at it, um, but we've seen enough there to suggest that there's there's um, reason to be encouraged. All six of the teams, though, guys, they've all brought something to this World Cup. They've all had their moments. They've all given us great entertainment. So we bid them farewell, wish them safe travels back home and wish them well for the future. As you just said, Ollie, you know, it's, yeah, the, the players that have played well, that have made their mark, they need to now not get complacent, not think they've made it. They need to go back and work hard and come back even stronger than that. And the players that have had a hard time, they need to learn from it and again, come back stronger and you know, grit their teeth and improve themselves. But uh, plenty of opportunities for them in between the World Cups now to... Uh, do exactly that, and hopefully we've seen a few household names start to grow from the teams that are going home battered, bruised, but again, proud of what they've done in this competition. The listeners to the Cricket Budget podcast have gone up by 580% in the last 12 months. Thank you so much for all of your support for the Cricket Budget podcast. And if you want to advertise on the show, well, of course you can. You're more than welcome to play your part as the podcast goes from strength to strength, we get in front of a lot of people out there. It's a real opportunity for you to put your business in front of the cricket world. Get in touch with us, cricketbadger at hotmail.com. Become part of the Cricket Badger family. Let's move on to the semi-finals, because we know the last four of this Cricket World Cup, we've only got three matches left of the tournament. We start at Old Trafford on Tuesday with India taking on New Zealand. And on Thursday, it is England taking on Australia. 
for the right to play at Lords in the final on Sunday. Some fantastic cricket around the corner, I am sure. We've been doing our predictions during this World Cup and the standings as we are at the moment. Akash, you are leading with 255.15 points. Ollie, you are second with 242.5 points. And James, me, I am third with 209.9 points. So there's a little bit of a gap there between the second and third. But remember, we do have our pre-tournament predictions as well, which will potentially could earn quite a lot of points and could certainly bridge those gaps. So we'll come back to those in the review programme next week. But we're going to have our predictions now. We have five units to spend on these two semi-finals. India against New Zealand is an interesting one for me. New Zealand, I mean, momentum is a word that's used a lot in cricket. And New Zealand, at the end of their group phase, have just lost all momentum. They've lost three on the bounce. How many tournaments are there around the world that you can get into the semi-finals having lost three successive games? But they do have some really good players. Trent Bolt, Lockie Ferguson, who missed the last game through injury. Hopefully he's back for the semi-final because he's important to New Zealand. So in, with the ball, they do have players that can take wickets. With the bat, their openers have disappointed hugely. But Kane Williamson, Ross Taylor in the middle order and James Neesham and Colin de Grantome have added runs as all-rounders further down the order. On their day, New Zealand still have a puncher's chance against India, who are still yet to convince me. Top of the order, Rabbit Sharma, amazing. Barak Kohli, the best in the world. KL Rahul got a century yesterday, his first World Cup century. But if you expose the middle order early, which Trent Bolt and Lockie Ferguson could do, get MS Dhoni in before he wants to be there, a long tail... You never know with New Zealand what they might achieve in this game. Start with you, Akash. Where would your five units go in this first semi-final and why? Uh, five units would go in India's favour. And uh, the reasons are just for, too easy for me to say. So, India top order and Indian bowling unit. Uh, I've not quite been convinced of uh, the New Zealand batting order. Yes, they've looked good. Yes, excepting Kane Williamson, I don't think anybody has done well, as you can say, in this tournament. Uh, so if India managed to take out the top three or four, I, I think it should it should really go down to the bottom uh, of the New Zealand batting order, which I don't think would, would be able to muster, say, a 200 runs or, or 250 runs. So it's going to go down that way. And as of now, the team that looks more complete in, 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 the, in the more all-round uh, display sense, look, it looks like India now. But if the conditions are swinging and if the conditions are really going to be that, which I'm not uh, really expecting at uh, Old Trafford. So <laughs> at the moment, it, it stands India because of the obvious reasons. But if there is a swing, it may change. But uh, I'm still going to go with India. I should have told you the Paddy Power prices prior to asking you that question. But they're one to three, India. Nine to four, New Zealand. You still happy to take India on that basis? Yeah, still happy to. And Dolly, your five units and why? My five units are also going on India. It's a good price actually for New Zealand because they have had a good tournament, and I think that there's certainly an element of recency bias that seems to seems to suggest that this should be a walkover in India's favour. I mean, if you look at the, the games that New Zealand won throughout the group stages, obviously they they hammered Sri Lanka, and then um, you know they had they had a narrow win against against Bangladesh, beat Afghanistan quite comfortably. They were washed out against India. You could definitely sort of make the argument that had that game been played and India won it, you know, then then New Zealand wouldn't even be here. But they play well against South Africa, but they, they then started to sort of scrape by, won very narrowly against the West Indies, um, and Pakistan beat them. And then they were thumped by Australia. 
uh, and then they were beaten comfortably by England. So they're coming, they're coming into this sort of wounded, I feel like, almost. The confidence won't be where it was after the first four games, five games, uh, after, uh, and understandably so. But the, the performers are still there in that team. Obviously, they've got Bolton Ferguson, who've been, who've been very, very good in this tournament. Uh, and they've got one of the very best batsmen in the world in Kane Williamson. And, and around them, uh, a, number of, a number of players who, who have been pretty consistent performers overall. Um, you've also got players in there like Ross Taylor, who who were capable of winning a match on their own. Nisham's been fantastic so far. Uh, Santa Saudi, you know, if they get in there, they're also capable of contributing. So it's, this is a difficult one. I don't see it being as one-sided as a lot of other people do. Basically, um, I'm still taking India though because I think that I think that one to eleven, um, they've looked through the group stages like the best team. Uh, and it just seems like one of those top four always gets to the other team. You, you know, I foresee a situation when India win the toss back first and, and get a score that just isn't really attainable for New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm putting my money on India. I'm taking New Zealand in this one, and it might sound a strange choice. It's a, it's a little bit of a price play because that 94 in New Zealand is too big on a team that can beat anybody on their day. They've been disappointing at the top of the order with the openers. Martin Guptill is definitely going to be in my disappointment 11th unless he does something in the semi-finals. But if you look at the weather forecast for Old Trafford, Tuesday and Wednesday are not particularly sparkling. Tuesday's actually fined up a little bit, but Wednesday is the reserve day and it's wall-to-wall rain on Wednesday. It's going to be overcast conditions. There will be the ability for a team with the likes of Trent Bolt to move it around corners. If they get the right toss, if they play their A game, India against the moving ball, we know what can happen with that. Their top order has been incredible. Rohit Sharma has been amazing. Rahul, Kohli, Donnelly, superb players. But if you can get those out early, as India did in one of the warm-up games against New Zealand, they had them fall down for next to nothing and beat them comfortably. I could see that actually happening again. So for me, New Zealand are the play in this one. Akash, Rohit Sharma, let's talk about him. Five centuries in the World Cup, in this World Cup. He's got six World Cup centuries, but five in this tournament. The first player to ever do that at a World Cup. He's been dropped a few times. He's ridden his luck at times, but you need that, don't you, if you're going to perform at the highest level. He's been immense. He's been immense, and uh, rightly so. He's just few runs short of Sachin Tendulkar for the record. And he, by, by the form, he certainly looks like he'll get... Uh, about Sachin Tendulkar, but I mean, there's nothing to compare between him and Sachin Tendulkar because of the different eras. But uh, Rohit Sharma has been a key to the Indian batting order and uh, certainly like most other openers has been one of the best players in the tournament and is one of the leading contenders for the most valuable player in this tournament and rightly so, he's played really well. But I really would be interested in seeing Rohit Sharma against uh, swinging conditions, swinging opposition because that's where the real test is and with the lack of Shikha Dhawan on the other end, it's going to be tough for India to then recover from that sort of situation. So as of now, his form is really vital for India going into the semi-finals. But he should he should use his experience more and convert that hundreds into a 150 into a 160. Where and then you could see the likes of Hardik Pandya coming in and going right from ball one. Oli, his series so far: 122 not out, 57, 140, one, 18. 102, 104, 103, averaging 92.42, 
when we're picking the best 11 for this World Cup next week, he's certainly in the conversation for the openers of role, isn't he? The first name on the on the, on the the sheet for me, to be honest. He's been absolutely exceptional during this tournament. Obviously, he's wrapped up 647 runs already. He's coming into the semi-finals on the back of three centuries, a 102, a 104, and a 103 against Sri Lanka yesterday. Funnily enough, his one was against Afghanistan, and his 18 was against the West Indies. So uh, you could you could certainly argue that he that he likes the uh, the bigger occasions. But his experience obviously comes into it. Um, he's he's just leading them leading them absolutely perfectly, really. His innings have tended to sort of set the pace. He's not gone absolutely wild or anything like that. He's just batted intelligently. Uh, and he's he's nudged runs around and he, he's just an absolute nightmare to bowl against to be honest because he can, he's one of those players who really can sort of score anywhere uh, and once he gets in he he as as has been mentioned he has this knack of going on and making up making a big score making a hundred I think Akash is right you know if he manages to convert some of those you know those one or two one or threes into into even bigger scores then obviously his stats would reflect even better and who knows in a semi-final situation that could be could be decisive but um, as long as he's scoring hundreds, India have have plenty of firepower uh, elsewhere to cause to cause further damage. Um, so yeah, just tip my hat to him because it's been it's been um, it's been a joy to watch him so far in this tournament. And for the sake of the tournament, I hope that he performs in the semis. Ollie and Akash on India at one to three. I'm going New Zealand at nine to four. That suspect lower order for India may cause them problems in that semi final, but India rightly the favourites and that England-India final that everybody was predicting at the start of this World Cup still very much on the card Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa located on the south coast of Barbados this beachfront property offers 224 rooms sparkling pools Four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. Let's move on to that game at Edgebaston on Thursday, where Australia are six to five, England are four to six favourites. Australia they won at Lords by sixty four runs. That was part of England's slump, though, wasn't it? The, that disappointing game, the lacklustre performance against Sri Lanka, still a bit of a hangover, I think, coming into that game at Lords against Australia, and then they had the meeting England after that game and basically said, "Let's not let's not die wondering. Let's go out there and play the cricket that's taken us this far." So. I think this is a different kettle of fish, this game at Edgebaston. For me, England taking on Australia in the semi-final is preferable to England taking on India at Edgebaston. Edgebaston does have a tendency to spin a little bit, which might have helped the Indians. Australia haven't won at Edgebaston against any opposition in any form of cricket since 2001. But Australia have never lost a World Cup semi-final. This is a tantalising game. The host nation, all the hopes that we've rested on them, playing another proud nation in Australia. We'll start with you, Akash. Where is your five units going? I think one thing that would be highly focused on and would, would gain moment, would gain the limelight would be the short boundaries at Ed Batson, which, which, which would be the talking point going into the game. So 
keeping that in mind, I think it is going to go. We've seen Australia and England play before as well. So if the if the opening order do not perform well as they have performed for England, I think it's going to go in Australia's favor because that middle order is not has not really convinced me that much. They could not have uh, they did not play min- much vital innings. So that that's where England have have lacked a little bit. Uh, we've seen the last few games against New Zealand as well. Once they've had their openers go from right uh, from the ball one, they they couldn't muster up more runs and then they just got to 319 or 20 where, where they could have easily got up to 350 and above. So they've not been able to convert the start. So that case, I think it's going to go in Australia's favor because Australia, with with the addition of Hanscom and uh, Matthew Wade, so I think uh, Hanscom would come right into the number four slot and Stephen Smith would go into number three if Kovaja is injured. So if that happens, I think Australia are more well-oiled and they, they, they're better suited to play English conditions because Hanscom, you know that he has been lately in England, he's been playing for the, the A side. Um, certainly he has experience to play a long inning. So that's going to be the, the talking point for the game. Australia's bowling against uh, England's top order. So that must be a good contest. So that, that's where I think it's going to go Australia's favour. I'm going to go with England in this one. No surprises there. I tipped England at the start both my head under my heart and I'm still very much hoping that they uh, do the job for me in this World Cup like I said in that preamble I think the previous game between Australia and England is a little bit of a red herring in this one I think Edgebaston surface Edgebaston pitch Edgebaston crowd will suit England they win got a good record at Edgebaston England and I think they can do the job on Australia on Thursday and the price as well they're odds on but only just I think that's enough for me to take England at four to six. So England, that's where my five units is going. Ollie, what about you? Your five units and why? My five units are going on Australia, and I'm also going to play my final joker. I basically, I'm just you know betting and, and hoping that I'm wrong on this. Um, it's like one of those where if we win, then I'll be I'll be happy, and I don't mind losing the losing the stake. But if we lose, then it's a little little very very. Very, very small silver lining. Um, I think this is actually a really hard game to call. As you mentioned with those two stats there, they kind of, they kind of clash. So, so one of those is going gonna, is gonna to ultimately end uh, those streaks. But I just got a bad feeling about it. You know, I, I, I can't really put my finger on it. Um, obviously, Australia have a number of, a number of world-class players. You know, Mitchell Starks, the leading wicket-taker, uh, head and above anybody else at, at the moment, and, and for a good reason, obviously. Uh, Cummins is up there as well, and and then obviously batting wise, they they don't really need much introduction. Um, Warner's having a sensational tournament. Finch's Finch's been racking up the runs as well. Carey's having a very good tournament. Um, obviously, I think England on paper have a have a marginally stronger eleven, but this could be one of those games where it all comes down to the toss. You know, if if we win the toss and and choose to bat first, regardless of what the deck's like, to be honest, then I will feel a damn sight more confident than I than I do sat here now. Um, but if Australia were to bat first, then it's just a case of well, any any target that we're chasing, if they can hold their nerve and chase it down, then we deserve a spot in the final. Um, so yeah, I can't really put my finger on it. It's a really difficult game to call, but just in just in terms of kind of negative betting, I guess if if you want, I'm I'm going to pick Australia and double up on it. Ollie, how, how much of a, an issue do you think it is that England have had so long to wait from their last game? That you know, since they played New Zealand. They've had a long time to think about what they've done. 
the semi-finals coming up. You know, you, you saying you're a little bit worried about Thursday, I can totally understand it. It's because you're English and you've seen it all before and you've been hurt before and that's what happens to us English people. As soon as we get hope, it, uh, it comes and smacks you in the face, doesn't it? But mm. the England players, they're only, they're only flesh and blood. They'll be thinking about the repercussions of everything and what might be. A long time to think about something that's important. Sometimes builds the pressure up and we don't want to see England reverting back to that playing within themselves like they did against Sri Lanka. We want to see that England that comes out, chest puffed out, doing what we what we know they can do best. Yeah, absolutely. There's no point now, um, having seen how it's played out over the nine games and just about getting into the top four, there's no point abandoning what the, the style of cricket that we play that's got us here, uh, the one that we know and the one that we're best at, basically. With regards to the point about whether it's uh, possibly detrimental to, to have so long to wait until we play that semi-final, you can look at it both ways, I guess. You can look at it as an opportunity to kind of slip out of rhythm um, and, and, and Australia are going to be sort of fresher off the back of a of a bit more game time but uh, you can look at it the other way and say as well it's more time to rest it's more time to get everybody ready and in a routine uh, and make sure that at absolute 100% peak physical condition going into the most important game of all of their careers and also you know you, you've got to think about the fact that they, we didn't know our opponent until yesterday so you can spend those few days after the New Zealand game on Wednesday just doing general preparation fine tuning um, all that kind of stuff and then you know, we know who we're playing now, so you can perhaps spend the, the beginning part of this week uh, looking more at specific plans for, for Australia uh, and the players that we'll come up against on Thursday. So there's one thing you can describe uh, England does at the moment. It's, it's, it's very professional. I, I don't think they'll, they'll view it as a detriment that we've, we've been waiting this long. I think everything will be in order. And we'll be raring to go on Thursday, and it'll just be a case of the best team on the day will win. And that cash final will be with you on the second semi-final. Evan Morgan, Trevor Bayliss, their team talk. It's quite simple, isn't it? You know, we've worked for four years for this. We've seen what happens when we take our foot off the gas a little bit in games like Sri Lanka, where we don't believe in ourselves. Just go out there, do what you've done for the last four years, leave it all on the pitch. If it doesn't work, we'll go down fighting in a blaze of glory. If it does work, we're in the World Cup final. And more so, uh, there'll be one thing that they'll be focusing when they're doing the team talk that would be, this is one side apart from India who knows how to beat Australia. They've done it in the past, they've done it in English conditions, they've done it in Australian conditions as well. So they know where the Australian weakness is. So it's more about finding the weakness and then hitting the right lengths when they're bowling. Because the, the, with the ball, they have not been consistent enough as they have been with the bat. So... If they, if they focus more on bowling the right length and not missing opportunities early up in the innings, uh, it's going to be a good next few days for them. And also for the extra day of rest, I think it, it's more like they can regroup and then they can focus on wrapping all the injury-prone uh, players to cotton and all of this stuff to keep them fresh for the game. And uh, it, gives, it actually gives them more uh, preparation time and more uh, time to focus on on bowling the right uh, lines and lengths in the in the training session. So it's a really good thing for England because they've got a week, um, they've got more days than the other team. Uh, they should just make full utilization and full use of full use of their time. They were they were at Wimbledon yesterday, I think, watching the tennis. So uh, it's a chance as well, isn't it, to take a bit of a break from cricket? They've got the time there to have a few days off, go back and spend a bit of time with the family, have a barbecue in the garden go and watch a bit of Wimbledon, go and have a round of golf, do whatever cricketers do to unwind, and then come back refreshed and fully focused for this game. So it doesn't get much bigger, does it, than Australia against England. Australia 65, that's Ollie and Akash's pick. 
four to six for England. I'm taking the English to make hay in that second semi-final. All that will be left after that is Sunday, July the 14th, the final. Whoever gets there will win this World Cup. Whoever gets there and wins will win this World Cup. One word from each of us. Who is the team that we think still lifts this World Cup? Start with you, Akash. I'm still going with Australia. I don't know why, because sometimes when when you talk about World Cups, the first uh, team that comes to your mind is Australia. So that certainly is is my way. Uh, Whenever I think of World Cup, it's Australia. So I think it's going to be Australia, but I've I've been wrong before. Good luck, Akash. You you scuffered South Africa. Hopefully you've scuffered Australia's hopes as well. Oli? India. I've picked India since the start. Um, and nothing that I've seen in the opening nine games has disproved that. I think they'll get past New Zealand, and then, you know, a final, I guess, is going to be a straight shootout against whoever, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still back in India. James, England. So, all three of us still on the same horses, still got three different picks. That means New Zealand are going to win, doesn't it? I guess yeah. that's the only one we've not mentioned. Yeah, it does. We mentioned the fact that we've had this little competition going all the way through this World Cup on this podcast. It's for charity. Whoever wins this World Cup competition gets to donate a, a certain amount of money to their chosen charity. And I said last time, come armed with your charity and tell us who you're going to pick and why that your money should go to that cause. I'll start off, give you a bit of a chance. If you haven't done your homework, you can think about it while I'm talking. Um, and I'm going to go with the Alzheimer's Society. My grandma died of Alzheimer's. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And they do fantastic work with Alzheimer's sufferers. So that would be, if I was to come back from third place and win this tournament, so don't get excited, Alzheimer's Society, if you're listening, because um, at the moment it's, um, I'm the rank outsider. But that would be where my money would go. That's the charity that I would pick. Akash, what about you? There's one one charity that I've uh, seen closely and lately that, that they've done so much work for, for the for the people is I think British Heart Foundation. So that's one charity where I would like to donate because of because of something that they're doing for and that's something that could happen to all of us. So that's one charity that I would like to give my money to if I win. Good choice. And what about you, Wally? Keeping in the theme and the, and the spirit of cricket, um, I'll I'll pick Chance to Shine. Uh, obviously, they're a, they're a national charity. They sort of aim to give children the opportunity to to learn and develop through playing cricket. Obviously, it's a massive thing for for different communities, um, and I think it's a what they do is a perfect example of how young people can develop social and 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 obviously personal skills through playing the sport that we all that we all love to watch. So um, yeah chance to shine and and yeah what a great job they do three good causes then so whoever wins this some decent charity will benefit so uh, no problem with that whatsoever i've enjoyed doing this podcast and this is the last one we do actually in tournament guys after this it will be back after the final for the review of the cricket world cup we'll know the winner by then we'll know which captain has lifted that trophy um thank you akash and dolly for joining me again this week Thank you. Thank and you, just Jim. a word of warning for the next podcast. If we have won it, then I'm going to be drunk. Well, why change your habit of a lifetime? Um, <laughs> we will be back again after the Cricket World Cup final. It's been a superb tournament. Hopefully, if you followed us in with any of the picks, you've made a little bit of money along the way. Um, and uh, gamble responsibly as well. It's for fun. It's not for uh, losing your house or anything like that. That's what cricket's all about. A bit of fun and entertainment. Until the next time. We will know the winner of the World Cup, as I say. Thank you for joining us on the Cricket Badger World Cup Weekly. We'll see you after the final.
Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.